This is the Education Gadfly Show. I ate like a half gallon of ice cream. Like, <laughs> you, you did? Everybody cokes differently. What does Gadfly say? Hello, this is your host, Mike Petrilli of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute. You're at the Education Gadfly Show and online at edexcellence.net. And now, please join me in welcoming our special guest for this week, a special election roundup edition, Andy Rotherham. Andy, welcome to the show. Hey, Mike. Good morning after the election. Exactly. Also joining us, Fordham's David Griffith. Hey, Mike. How much sleep did you get? Uh, I did okay, actually. I still seem to be on daylight savings time, so I, I conked out pretty early uh, and was up early to read the uh, the results, some of which are still coming in. We'll talk all about that. Hey, for folks who don't know, and I don't know who you are, but Andy Rotherham is co-founder and partner at Bellwether Education Partners, uh, which is doing all kinds of great work in the world of education policy and education reform. Andy, let's get right to it. The big news is, of course, the midterm elections. Let's cover it all in Ed Reform Update. All right, Andy, before we get into the specifics about uh, the House, the Senate, some of the state races, what what, what are you seeing? You know, D- David Brooks wrote a few uh, days ago that he sees this as the retrenchment election, everybody settling into their camps. That does seem to be what we're seeing out there, right? Well, I think there was a hardening, clearly, of uh, of some divides that we've seen, particularly along suburban uh, rural lines and what that means for the parties. Um, it was a split verdict, obviously, overall, so everybody can find something to point to. But yeah, I think um, it, it didn't offer a lot of hope that the various divisions right now are going to, um, uh, politically, are going to uh, bind themselves up, and that's probably not good news for education reform. There were some bright spots, like if you care about uh, issues around tolerance, there was definitely some things on ballots that should give you some encouragement and some criminal justice reform. So Andy, tell us more though. Why why is this bad news for education reform? Because in some respects, you know, I look out and I say, well, you know, it looks like we're going to have some moderate Democrats again, maybe new Dems, uh, you know, a group that you've been associated with at times over your career. And they, you know, new Dems have been pretty good on education reform. So what's, what's the problem here? Well, look, there's definitely some reason to be encouraged, some pragmatists and some folks with good records on education, like Jared Polis, uh, in Colorado got elected. It's uh, They're still counting votes when we're recording this, but it looks like Marshall Tuck is going to get over the bar. Um, so there's definitely some, some reason uh, for optimism. But structurally, what should worry us in the electorate is the behavior of urban voters is fairly predictable, and, the, and, and they break to the Democrats. Rural and suburban voters, um, is, is, has become, that's become the battleground. And what we saw in this election is a hardening of the really um, conservative Trump bulk work among rural voters and mm-hmm. huge Democratic inroads in the suburbs. That's why, for example, the Democrats were able to flip so many congressional seats in Virginia, a state that had been considered a, a swing state, but the Democrats had a very good night. Um, that should worry education reformers because education reform doesn't have a lot to actually say to rural voters right now. It's it's a, it's, it's it's mostly been an urban education mm-hmm. reform movement has written off rural voters, and education reform's never been especially popular in the suburbs or especially popular among more upmarket uh, college-educated white voters. And mm-hmm. those are emerging as really key demographics and key battle lines. And so education reformers should be concerned that these big fault lines, the parties are going to be competing around. We don't have mm-hmm. a whole lot to say to those people right now. That's a really interesting point. Of course, uh, I also worry that Republicans are looking at these trends and saying, boy, uh, we don't have much in it for us to get more kids, especially, uh, say, white working class kids, to get to and through a four-year college degree because college will turn them into Democrats. Uh, it's something you've heard for a while, but seems to be playing out uh, increasingly here with these results. Well, I think right, and, the, and the other thing for Republicans, I think, I mean, you make a funny point, but I think the other thing for Republicans is going to be 
they are not going to have a huge appetite for education reform if they're trying to claw back and get traction in the suburbs. And so yeah. to some extent, some of the, the, the tension that's sort of driven mm-hmm. education reform has been pressure from uh, Republicans forcing uh, action and conversations among Democrats. And that there's no reason to believe if you look structurally at what, what the next two years are shaping up to look like that mm-hmm. that, that pressure is going to be there, which means you won't see some of those conversations. Yep. Yep. All right. Well, let's let's talk a little bit about Washington. We're now going to have a Democratic House. Uh, Republicans made some gains in the Senate. Uh, you know, my take is for K-12 education, it doesn't really matter because there wasn't really anything happening on K-12 education to begin with, uh, though we'll have some rancorous uh, oversight hearings and the like. Is that about right from your perspective? Yeah, I think that's about right on education. I mean, it, you know, there, there may be a chance, like if there's an infrastructure bill, you got to figure they're going to try to get one thing done because uh, it works for both sides. And so something like infrastructure could emerge as an issue and then there could be some education pieces yeah. there. But it's 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 certainly hard to see uh, a whole lot of bipartisanship uh, shaking out if, if, it, if, as it appears, both parties are going to double down on their uh, on yeah. their current strategies. There will be a lot of investigations. And, and more generally, uh, I think that plays actually reasonably well for Trump, his sort of chaos mm-hmm. theory approach to politics. Um, I think the alignment in Washington is actually going to feed that. He, he, no one's going to accuse him of being a policy wonk. And so if, if there's a lot of policymaking going on, he's out of his element. That doesn't work as much for his politics and his base. And I don't think that's yeah. going to be the situation. So uh, not a lot's going to happen. It's probably going to be good for his style of politics for a while. You know, I, I wrote that uh, I'm hearing some rumors that perhaps Secretary DeVos is going to step down instead of choose to participate in these show trials up on the Hill. Uh, and I argued that she certainly earned that. She's shown a lot of resolve to hang in there, uh, despite being such a, a punching bag over the last two years. Uh, you know, do you think that that would be helpful to the reform crowd to have uh, the Betsy DeVos uh, issue taken away? You know, I mean, you, these rumors, they come up from time to time. She gave up quite a bit to take this role. I'm always a little bit, uh, I'm always yeah. a little bit skeptical. If they decide to push her out, that would be a different, uh, a different thing. But she seems to, uh, actually be pretty committed to the, yeah. to the job. Um, you know, look, she's definitely emerged. You saw on the campaign trail and so forth that, you know, she, she was a big issue and a big democratic talking point. But if you actually, if you look at the exit polls that, you know, these were not the issues that were actually yeah. moving voters. Education w- was a sideshow. And so I think it'll be the kind of thing that continues to consume the chattering class and gets everybody excited on Twitter. But in terms of like what happens either in the macro politics or what happens around education policy the next year or two, it, it doesn't hang on any decision that Betsy DeVos might make or not make. All right. Let's talk about the states where things really get decided these days in education. David, uh, you were noting that there are quite a few decisions around funding. Yeah, I think that's kind of the other big story here. Uh, you know, as as the kind of Democrat who uh, does research as a at a conservative think tank, uh, you know, that's always what I root for when uh, the Democrats take charge is just uh, focus on progressive funding reform, yeah. um, which is you know something that a lot of people uh, can get behind. Um, there were a number of ballot initiatives that passed that yeah. increased funding. Uh, Michigan legalized medical marijuana and 35%. Re- recreational marijuana, right? Was uh, it? I think it was medical. Was it medical? I'll okay. double check. I yeah. mean, 35% of that money is going to education. Yeah. Um, uh, also, in places like Seattle, big funding increase there. Uh, it's n- One big question is whether or not charters are going to be able to access that money in yeah. light of uh, the recent court decision. Maryland, New Jersey, New Mexico, Rhode okay. Island. I mean, there were there was just a lot of this on the ballot. It didn't succeed in Colorado, yeah. notably. But I mean, I think uh, that's clearly an area where there's going to be a lot of action. I think the other question, yeah, is is the one you touched on earlier, 
Mike. Um, you know, we have these folks like, you know, like Polis and, and Gavin Newsom, who, you know, historically have not been necessarily opposed to uh, charter schools reform. I mean, Polis has, you know, founded yeah. two charter networks. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, you know, they had to get elected governor, right? <laughs> and so the question is, um, you know, how will they behave now that yeah. they're in that position? Well, and, and I think and, the jury's still out. Yeah. And, and on the funding, even, I mean, so Colorado votes down that initiative. And yet now, uh, I think, uh, the Democrats have full control, I think, in Colorado. Yeah, they right. flipped one of the chambers, yeah. uh, and a, you know, where so you would think they would go for more funding there, possibly. But it's tricky if the public just said no. That'll be interesting to watch. Of course, you've got now Tony Evers in Wisconsin. You've got uh, a Democrat in Illinois, in Michigan. Uh, you know, look at Wisconsin and Michigan. Uh, you know, you get Democrats in the governor's seat, but you still have Republican chambers. And so, you know, will there be a deal, or is that just going to be gridlock? What, what else are you seeing out there, Andy? So I would also on those states, I agree with, with, with the, your characterization of the governors, the Democrats, I think an underreported story of the night, um, because on the East Coast, when most people were watching Democratic candidates for governor were struggling, but in the Midwest, the Democrats had a pretty good night. Um, one other one I'd add to that is the guy who just won in Minnesota. He's a former teacher. Um, ran a fairly status quo campaign on education, but that's a state that has always um, had sort of outsized salience in the education debate. So I would watch that. I guess I'm not as optimistic as David on the money. I mean, some stuff passed. A lot of stuff also went down. Um, uh, I think two things happened that bear watching. One, schools, um, you know, like a, like a Grateful Dead parking lot, schools are becoming uh, pretty heavily dependent on marijuana. <laughs> and uh, that's, nice a trend, that's a trend Ooh. that bears watching um, as, a, as a revenue source. And then second, a lot of these tax increases didn't uh, pass. I mean, there was some interesting stuff. David mentioned some. There was an interesting thing in Georgia about giving districts less, some flexibility. But I think in general, um, this issue of rising healthcare costs and pensions, and we're going to have to pay attention to productivity, the sort of happy days of, of, of sort of loose education money and upward spending trends, I think are coming to an end. And that's going to mm-hmm. have... Uh, it's having an effect on our politics now around these teacher strikes and teacher pay, and I think it's going to have a broader, uh, a broader impact going forward. And, uh, and, and in two big states, California and New York, it'll be interesting to see how the charter school politics do play out there. Uh, Gavin Newsom did take a lot of uh, teacher union money. Uh, as Andy said, looks like Marshall Tuck may have won at state superintendent. I've never quite understood why people were spending so much money on that race uh, when he doesn't seem to have all that much power. But but I guess uh, those, those billionaires must know what they're doing. Yeah, he's, got, he's actually got more power than people think. This was an important okay. race. Believe me, there would be a lot of second guessing, though, if he had lost, given the gotcha. amount of money that was spent there as opposed to on some of these other races and making yeah. inroads in different communities, uh, you know, because he's going to win, winning for, forgives a lot. That's actually going to be a really interesting dynamic to watch because if, if, if Thurmond had won or, win, you know, wins, again, they're still counting some votes, but then uh, Newsom and charter schools, that was going to be a tough situation for charters and a lot of operators out there were mm-hmm. really concerned that they'd even be like going after trying to close and roll back some schools. Yeah. I think uh, with with Tuck there, it may give just enough cover that things may actually break better for charter schools um, than, than was expected. And that's, I think, a, a large part of why charter supporters were so focused on that race. Yeah. Do we know yet about New York? Uh, did the Senate flip to Democratic control? It, it did. And that's yeah, going to be an interesting yeah. uh, test of the organizing work there and the other things that are going on and just how embedded charters are in ur- some urban communities like new york city and then what an anathema they are to sort of white progressive uh democrats and and mm-hmm. we're going to get to watch that tension play out in new york 
All right. Well, so much good stuff to think about, though. I have to say, mostly you have made me feel uh, mostly (laughs) (laughs) depressed about the state of education reform politics. There's Uh, no quick fix. Not a lot of great, uh, great news to see there, uh, but we will still try to look for the silver lining. Uh, There's Uh, plenty of there's plenty of silver linings, I think. Uh, And I think some really interesting people got elected. This woman who won in in Kansas's third district, she's a Native American. She's also a former MMA fighter and Cornell law grad. Like, how many Cornell law grads are MMA fighters? And she's going to be, I think, I think she's going to emerge as a really interesting presence in the the Democratic Party. I think there actually, I think some some interesting stuff happened last night that the seeds (laughs) for some interesting stuff going forward were planted. So I'm actually I'm more optimistic overall than on some of these particulars we were discussing. All right, fair enough. Well, hey, really appreciate your time, Andy. And again, Andy Rotherham calling in to the show. He's at uh, a co-founder and partner of Bellwether Education Partners. You can find him at edgywonk.com. Andy, thanks so much. Hope you come on again soon. Thanks for having me. All right, now it's time for everyone's favorite, Amber's Research Minute. Welcome back to the show, Amber. Thank you, Mike. Did you stay up late watching the returns? Uh, 12.30, so not terrible, but, yeah. you know, uh, it was still later than I normally stay up. Uh-huh. Yeah, <laughs> you, you know that when we're us, us geeks, that uh, like, what will what will make us, you know, stay up past our bedtime? Uh, I ate like a, a half gallon of ice cream, Mike. So. <laughs> you, you did? Everybody copes differently. Yeah. Yeah. Are you feeling okay? It's oh just a God. lot of things happening right now. Goodness. Stressful. Goodness. Uh, Goodness. All right. Well, let's stay focused. We're going to stick to our knitting. We are. We're going to stick to it. So we got a new working paper out today by Corey DeAngelis, Lindsey Burke, and Pat Wolf. Mm-hmm. Uh, it examines the regulations, effect of regulations in Florida on private school choice program participation. You guys see this? You saw this one. I think you I sent did. it to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a pretty creative study design. I'll say that. But it's not without its flaws. So let's dig in a little bit. Um, we know that we can't randomly assign program regulations to individual private schools. Um, and so what they do is say, hmm, let's try this other design. So they and Analysts emailed surveys to over 3,000 private school leaders in Florida. Mm-hmm. They randomly assigned them to a hypothetical program regulation. And then they asked them whether they would participate in a new private school choice program during the following year under this particular regulation. Mm-hmm. Okay. So specifically, each school was asked about 10 questions, nine of which were exactly the same about background stuff that they used as control variables. Mm-hmm. The 10th question was the different one, and it imposed, again, a particular regulation or not. So then the schools were randomly assigned to one of four groups groups based on that last question. All right, real quick, here's the questions because this is key. The control group question was if Florida launched a new school choice program next academic year with a value of 6,000 per student per year, how likely is it that your school would participate in the program? That's what everybody got. Okay. The control group gets the note. This program would not require any changes in school operations or additional government regulations. Okay. Okay. Second group got this note. The only requirement would be that every student would have to take the state standardized test each year. Mm-hmm. The third group got this note. The only requirement would be that your school would have to accept all students who applied and you would be required to use random lottery for admissions in the case of oversubscription. Mm-hmm. And then the fourth note said the only requirement would be that your school would have to accept the voucher amount of $6,000 as full 
payment for voucher students. Mm-hmm. So they each got those different okay. scenarios. They use a five-point Liker scale um, that re- that range from certain to participate to certain not to participate. Mm-hmm. All right, we'll get to a couple issues in a minute, but here are the key findings. Uh, similar to the study that we released a few years ago, they find that admissions policies are a bigger deal to private schools than our state testing policies. Mm-hmm. Specifically, the open enrollment scenario I just uh, laid out reduces the likelihood that private schools are, quote, certain to participate by about 17 percentage points, which is about, in their estimate, 70%. The required state testing scenario reduces that same likelihood by about 11 percentage points, or 44%. Mm-hmm. They find no evidence that acceptance of the voucher amount as full payment affects program participation. Hmm. And they posit later on the paper that leading uh, an already established school might put you on firmer financial footing. Mm-hmm. So maybe that was okay. what was going on there. And finally, they find that schools with higher tuition, which their proxy here, that's their proxy for higher quality, high tu- higher tuition, are more likely to be deterred by program regulations with the strongest results showing that they're most deterred by the mandate that they have to take the full voucher amount, which makes sense if your tuition is higher. <laughs> okay? Right, right. Um, the last thing I'll just say, like, take it with a grain of salt. The participate, I mean, the response rate was 11%, which is pretty low. 11 percent uh they do what they can to show that the observable characteristics between the respondents and the rest of the florida private school universe are similar uh but they do find some important difference when they look at those observables um one of which is that respondents are more likely to already accept mckay funding Mm -hmm. so that's kind of you know that's that disability Mm -hmm. um voucher and also i mean i got to think it's hard to say that asking folks about these hypothetical situations is the same and it represents what they would do in the actual situation. Like, right. think about it in your own life when yeah. people ask you, well, if you were in this situation, what would you do? And lots of times you're like, well, I don't know until I'm in that situation, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and then also the principals, and I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but in Florida, I don't think they have any of these things. So we're asking principals who are, are already operating in a context without these requirements mm-hmm. to, I think they're already more prone to respond negatively, right? right. Because of the situation they're in. So yeah. still, I'll say it's a creative approach, mm-hmm. um, but it's, uh, it, you know, and it affirms prior research, but it's got some issues too. Yeah. I mean, it's tough to change my mind on these issues, honestly. I, if you start with the premise that we need to get 100% participation from schools, mm-hmm. uh, then you're never going to accept any regulation, right? But if yeah. you, you start with the premise that we need the policies, the right policies to ensure that voucher programs work uh, for students and mm-hmm. work, uh, at, you know, as policymakers intend, um, then Frankly, you start with those policies and you accept whatever participation rate results from them. All right, but let so, me push back right, on that. Right, on behalf yeah, I of, thought you uh, might not like that well, last no, formulation. No, no, no. But the point that I mean, look, I, I mean, I look. We at Fordham have generally been pro yeah. accountability, right, yeah. for these schools. At least some kind of testing and at least transparency about how the the schools are doing. Uh, that would be made publicly available. But uh, but you know, I think the point that some of these folks make, and it's one we have to take seriously, is that you worry if the wrong schools don't participate, right? right. Uh, and, and when you look at places like Louisiana and Indiana, uh, especially Louisiana, where the results have been, you know, not so great, and you've had a big chunk of schools not participate, the worry is, you know, the lower quality schools desperate for money mm-hmm. participated, uh, right. and the better schools did not participate, and that may be why you're driving these bad results. Mm-hmm. So, it's not that you necessarily want to get to 100%, but you do want to uh, encourage high quality private schools to participate, uh, if you care about good results and quality, uh, now they have to participate and they have to take a significant number of kids. Right. And and this is where I I, I uh, told the authors, I said, you know, look, I would be curious if you looked at, for example, race mm-hmm. as a factor, the racial mm-hmm. demographics of the school. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, and whether that had an impact, I mean, look, you know, because let's, you know, that that's something we have to consider could mm-hmm. be a possibility here. And mm-hmm. especially talking about places in the South and, you know, if, if that's a factor, I, it, it's not surprising to me that mm-hmm. private schools, especially expensive private schools are saying they want to be able to select the kids that are coming to their school. And many of these schools, I'm sure, already have scholarship programs for poor kids or kids of color, but they get to select them uh, and make sure that they are, you know, achieving at a high enough level. They don't have behavioral problems. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the idea of telling them, you got to take everybody. Right. I mean, how do you explain that to a parent who's shelling out 20,000 bucks <laughs> for private school tuition? Who wants right. the pure effects. And, and <laughs> let's be honest, private schools are called private for a reason. Right. right? right. And that part of what's appealing to parents is they know that uh, they're not going to have to have their kid deal with mm-hmm. some kid who's off the wall in terms of behavior or, you know, dangerous and some, you know, all that kind of stuff, which Yes, you know, there's some of this that gets into racial bias and all the, and, and all of that. Uh, but it just seems a little bit naive to to leave that issue off the table. I mean, that's right. that's the heart of the issue. It seems to me. Yeah, but if that's, I mean, okay, let me let me push back on your pushback. If yeah. that's the heart of the issue, then um, I mean, those schools are always going to exist, Mike. Yeah. Right. Like you know, they, they'll exist without the voucher money. That's right. right? And if mm-hmm. and if the point is to help kids from tough backgrounds, yeah. right, get into them, right. I mean, then it's sort of a self-defeating argument, right? Yeah. If if the, fundamentally they just don't want those kids. So, right, right. No, I, that's I, right. I don't or know. they, they, they want to be able to hand, handpick the kids. I mean, this is why, look, my main concern is the vast majority of these private schools, uh, you want to make sure that uh, that the good ones participate and that there's some accountability to encourage mm-hmm. quality, right? Look, my bias is that by and large, we're talking about Catholic schools that are going to do a pretty good job or have a history of doing mm-hmm. a good job. Some of the other, maybe Lutheran or other schools out there that also uh, have a strong track record and and that getting poor kids into those schools in a lot of places is, is hugely important, can change lives, can get mm-hmm. great results, et cetera. But yeah, no, look, am I worried about getting a handful oh, yeah. of kids via a publicly funded voucher? into, you know, a fancy private school. No, not really. Right. Well, I think if quality is what, I mean, you said if you care about quality, yeah. right? Like that was a key little caveat yeah. there, right? Because some people just care a lot about it and some people don't, right? right? I mean, especially in the private school sector. I mean, you know, and parents are just assuming that those schools are great, yeah. you know, and, you know, their nah, kids. That's right. Yeah. Well, and so. some people say, look, this is about freedom. And it's also about allowing parents to choose religious schools, you know, mm-hmm. and so from a religious liberty argument, you know, that's that right. that's the primary value. And I get that, mm-hmm. you know, but as an education reformer, I care about improving outcomes. So that's there you right. go. All Ooh, right. So anyways. Yeah, just tee us up with Tell inconclusive you. research hey. and, and we'll go at it. Hey, it's hey, about the election. It. Well, now the election's right. over. We got to have something else to argue about. <laughs> so, uh, although I understand that the 2020 campaign begins today. All right. Thank Thank you so much, Amber, yes, for that. That is more than all the time that we've got this week. Until <laughs> hey, don't be cutting me either. I mean, I know, I know. we we blabbed on a lot about the election. <laughs> Till next time, I'm David Griffin and I'm Mike Petrilli of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute. Signing off. The Education Gadfly Show is a production of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute, located in Washington D.C. For more information, visit us online at edexcellence.net.